Blog Talk Radio. Welcome to Mind Shifters Radio with your co-host, the Forgiveness Doctor, Dr. Michael Rice, and his wife, Jeannie. Michael and Jeannie share with you the wisdom of the ancient Aramaic internal process of forgiveness. They offer tools and support five days a week. They will support you in building a solid foundation within yourself to live in pure love. In Aramaic, Rachma. Michael is the author of Why Is This Happening to Me Again? For more information on Michael and Jeannie, please visit www.whyagain.com. And now your co-host, the forgiveness doctor, Dr. Michael and Jeannie Rice. To the brightness within you and the truth that is rooted within me. Hello and welcome to Mind Shifters Radio. I'm Tim Hayes, sitting in for Dr. Michael Rice. I don't know if anybody's on the switchboard yet, but we're here on this delightful Tuesday morning, November 10th, 2015, and we're here to um, promote, teach, and support the use of an ancient technology Oddly enough, it has a very popular common name. It's called forgiveness. And we have access to knowledge that in the ancient Aramaic teachings, what we're currently taught of is the Greek concept of pardoning. And in the Greek concept of pardoning, we get together and we acknowledge somebody did something horrible. Everybody acknowledges it. And then we agree they should be punished. But then we let them off the hook. We say, you don't have to be punished, but we've all agreed you did something wrong. And that's why everybody's upset. And or that's why people are hurt. And in the process of doing that, we might get rid of some energies that are negative in our lives. We might be able to disconnect from vengeance, bitterness, a little bit in our conscious awareness. But we haven't done anything in that process to change what's really going on inside of us that really, from another perspective, is an alarm system. Any form of negative emotion that the human being feels can be understood to be an alarm telling the the individual there's a problem inside you. How do we know it's inside you? Because you're feeling it inside you. As we understand from the ancient Aramaic and from probably the ancient Egyptians and perhaps culture beyond culture beyond that, everything I feel internally is an inside job. The mind energy that my life allows me to generate is a creative force. And neuroscientists today are able to track. When I think certain thoughts, it generates an energy field which the neuroscientists are able to track as a molecule. And the quality of the thoughts, I think, determines the quality of the energy field or the molecule that's generated. That energy field or molecule floats through my system until it finds a compatible energy field or a cell with a receptor site it can land on. It lands on that receptor site and it tells the cell what behavior to initiate. So I literally get to live with the energies that I choose in my thoughts. I literally get to live with what some would call the physical effects of the thoughts that I choose of the mind energy that I originate. And this work is about understanding that when I have any kind of a negative emotion, anger, fear, sadness, hurt, guilt, shame, blame, condemnation, ridicule, 
vengeance, tension, confusion. It's literally an alarm system telling me, Tim, your thoughts are off the mark. And if I know how to correct my thoughts and the energies I already carry within me that might have gotten triggered and dismantle them, I get to live a different kind of life. I get to live a life that's got direct conscious awareness of the same creative energy that gives rise to me and keeps my heart beating and my stomach moving and food digesting and my breath moving even when I'm asleep at night. That's the same energy that has the sun radiating, that has the leaves growing, that has birds flying in the air and keeping their heart pumping. I get to experience the direct conscious awareness of my true nature as the energy of love, as the energy of creation. And all I have to do to to allow that to happen is remove everything that would hide that from me, everything that's less than that energy. The tool for doing that is called forgiveness. In the ancient Aramaic, the word for it was shebag, to cancel, to dismantle. And Dr. Michael Rice and Jeannie work tirelessly to maintain a website and to travel and give training seminars to teach people the core tool of forgiveness, which is how to reach inside themselves and remove the energies that are less in love so they can have a direct conscious awareness of, moment to moment, day to day, their true nature. They make it available for free on the Internet at www.whyagain.org. And if you click on that website, click on a link that says Start Here at the top left, or on the red and white bullseye near the center of the page, it'll take you to a page where you can download chapter 24 of Dr. Rice's book where he writes about this and the latest version of the seven-step reality management worksheet process, which contains the core tool for removing anything less than love from my system, and a host of other tools and worksheets, and also... 16 different audio files of shows just like this one where Michael or Jeannie or someone has stepped a caller through the process. And the combination of Dr. Rice's book, which is available for free download, that Chapter 24 specifically about this tool, the worksheet PDF itself, and those 16 hours of basically training on how to fill out the worksheet process and how it would work in different situations is more than you need to get started on the journey and to continually practice until you master the tool of forgiveness. And if you can master the tool of forgiveness, as the way of mastery says, the energy of forgiveness is a delightful energy to be in. So that's what we're here to support and promote. And Michelle is telling me through a text that we're not able to open up the uh, studio because something is wrong with a password. So we are, uh, apparently we're out there and um, people can hear my voice, but we can't yet get access to the studio. So we'll continue to try to solve the technical issues. And in the meantime... I will just talk a little bit about what's been happening in my practice and the people I work with talking about these issues, talking about the various tools. And um, one of the things that's been going on recently in my private practice as a psychologist in Illinois is that a number of people have shown up in my office as teenagers who are very bright, who are very sensitive and very creative, and they're having a very difficult time fitting into school 
into the format of here, sit in this desk, be quiet, listen to what I'm telling you, read what I tell you to read, and then spit it back to me in this format so that later on in the year you can pass this standardized test, etc. And what happens when creative people are choosing to try to stifle those creative energies and make themselves fit someone else's idea of how they should be is that they end up being like what a lot of people in our culture would call diseases. They start looking like attention deficit with hyperactivity disorder, manic depression, real high highs, real low lows, psychosis, schizophrenia. They start looking like depressed people. And one way to think about this is that every one of us is gifted with a connection to our source. And it is something that can't ever be broken. Now, our conscious mind can be distracted by all kinds of other things. But if I were ever able to disconnect from the source of energy that created me and keeps my heart pumping and my lungs breathing, etc., I would simply cease to exist. It's not that my body would fall over and somebody would find a carcass. It's that there wouldn't be anything there. I am, as Einstein would say, connected to everyone and everything in the universe. I'm part of that whole. And the only thing that can ever be disconnected from that is my conscious awareness, as I talked about in the intro. My mind energy, my ability to choose the focus of my mind energy, is a creative force. So I can create the illusion of being separate. And Einstein called this the optical delusion, that I'm separate from anyone or anything. So if I do that, I suffer. And I slumber in my suffering. I, don't, I, I create an image that says I'm different from everyone I see because I can see they're over there and I'm over here. When in reality, if the antenna that was my eye had the ability to see more energies, a broader range of energy spectrums, I would be able to see energy that moves in, through, and around everyone and everything in existence. And it's all connected. So if you imagine that every one of us has a connection to that higher intelligence that gave rise to everything, and that by practicing intuition, by practicing what some would call mindfulness or meditation, by learning to listen to that still small voice in me, I can get better and better at hearing feedback, intuition, insight, creative impulses that come from the source of all creation. Mozart was quoted as having said something similar to what I'm about to say. I don't have the I don't have the quote memorized, but he said, "I have never yet written the music that is in my heart to write. I may never yet with these hands and these small octave I know it exists and I know it is real because I have what I'm hearing now is just the tiniest bit of what I know exists and it is immortal. So he was essentially saying he's getting a stream of energy or awareness or insight or intuition or creativity from some other realm, from some other source, from some other dimension. And he's just giving it a voice. He's not creating it. Well, if you imagine that each of us has that kind of access and that some of us end up being very good at doing repetitive activities and we're very good at working at, in a factory on a, or, or skilled labor 
as a carpenter or a bricklayer, doing the same things over and over again with slight variations, then you might imagine that person has something the size of, oh, let's say, a drinking straw that goes out, you know, this energetic connection the size of a drinking straw that goes out from the base of their skull or the front of their skull up to the creative energy source. Whereas somebody like a Leonardo da Vinci has something like an eight-foot conduit connecting his conscious mind to that creative energy source. And it's not always open and flowing at, at an eight-foot diameter, but it has the capacity to open and download huge creative leaps like Einstein did and like da Vinci did and like other great minds and creative genius Mozart had. And that these connections to that creative energy source vary in their initial access or diameter. So some of us have very bright and easy access to this when we're children and we see auras and we paint pictures of things that happened to our parents when they were young and our parents are shocked because they can't understand how we would know such a thing. Some of us just have that portal wide open when we come in. And others of us have, have a wider portal that we have shut down over time because of trying to fit in. You know, if I start talking to my father about you know, conversations I've had with past deceased relatives, and he's an engineer, and he starts freaking out, and I'm two or three years old, and all of a sudden my father, who was hugging me and cuddling with me one minute, is pushing me away from him on the couch and running in the other room shaking, then I soon learn I can't talk about those things and still stay connected to the warm, loving person who is my father. So I might decide to shut that down. And over time, I might grow to push away my awareness of my connection to a higher source or a creative flow, etc. Well, in the same way, a creative child who enters our current educational system and is told to sit here now, walk over here now, stand over here now, don't talk now, play for half an hour here, now stop that and come in and sit in this desk and do this and read this and spit that back over here, they might shut down their creative energy flow, their awareness of the creative energy that wants to express through them. And if the theory behind this is correct, that takes a tremendous amount of energy. It takes an energy that is crippling and is creating dis-ease because it's contrary to the natural expression of the creative energy that wants to express through these people. So I forget how many years ago, but a number of years ago, I was introduced to a book called The Da Vinci Method. Now, this is not the Da Vinci Code. This isn't about the man named Brown who wrote those books that was made in the movies. This is a book... And if you search for it on the Internet um, and you put davincimethod.pdf in your search, you can probably find the PDF file for this book. It's been out long enough. Or you might go to Amazon and look for it, and you can actually buy the book. But here's a person who wrote a book, and he's talking about what he believes he's discovered as this pattern of people who have much more creative influence much more easy access to the creative source. And in, if they survive the traditional educational process and, and maintain that connection, they turn out to be our artists, our poets, our most creative scientists, our most creative medical doctors, our most creative engineers, our most creative musicians, our most creative dancers, etc. And when they don't survive that process, they start looking like 
children who are problem children who can't sit still in the class. They get labeled attention deficit disorder and hyperactivity. They get given medications. They get told that the things they're seeing or the voices they're hearing are hallucinations rather than insight and intuition. They get given medications for that. Or because the children are working so hard to gain the approval of the adults around them, and if the adults around them are not coming from a space of love, they're coming from rigidity and physical punishment, etc., the children may, in the process of trying to lock down their creative energy and loving impulses, they may get depressed. And this book talks about the difference in behavior patterns and expressions between people who have a very large connection, a very large conduit to the creative energy of source, and those who, for whatever reason, at least initially, have less of that kind of a connection and or have to work to remember that connection, that's going to look like in day-to-day life and in the work life and how these two people, these two groups of people as general groups, are going to have very different needs, very different patterns of expression, very different cycles of work productivity. And it isn't that one is better than the other. It's just that if we understand that people have these different flows and cycles of energy and productivity and ability to express creativity, we can learn to work together with people. So the people who are really good at maintaining a company can get hooked up with people who are really good at having a brilliant idea for how to start a brand new kind of company and and create all the new processes that would make that happen and then at the right time the creative people hand it over to those people who are really good at maintaining or developing and then maintaining and they can work collaboratively and cooperatively rather than competitively. And if these same people are put on a team and there is no understanding of the different styles, there will be competition and there will be resentment and there will be conflict that isn't really necessary if it's understood that some people just have different cycles, different rhythms, greater access to the creative forces and insights and intuitions. And they have different rhythms of work pattern. So it's called the Da Vinci Method, as named after Leonardo da Vinci, the great creative genius of the past. And I would highlight, if anybody's reading this, or if anybody's looking at this and goes to get that book and wants to read it, I thought when I went to read the book that I was going to get a tool, a method, a step-by-step, here's how to fix this. And it doesn't really happen in that book. It's just pointing in a direction. And the the most useful part of the book for me was just, here's a way to help describe to people who may have that pattern that this is their actual style and this is the benefit of it and it isn't a problem it isn't a disease it isn't an antisocial pattern which they could come to believe if they just took that same style and energy level and creative creativity flow into our common workplace or into our common educational setting today so Defining the pattern and letting people understand if they do have that creative side and if it is strong in them and if they have had to work to try to dumb themselves down or you know, numb themselves down so that they could get along with others who aren't so tapped into that creative force, that's a wonderful book. And as I began, I don't know, 10 or 12 or 30 minutes ago, talking about this, I've had several of those people in my in my caseload in my practice recently, very, very bright people who are very troubled because they're, they're not being understood and they're not being introduced to at a young age 
all of these skills, all of these whims and impulses, all of these ups and downs in their energy level are part of the gift, and they aren't a disease, and it isn't a problem. So I'm going to take a break, and I'm going to hope somebody texts me or I don't know if uh, Michael and Jeannie are listening in on the phone, but currently we're having difficulty getting into the Blog Talk Radio studio because the original username and password aren't working. And since we aren't, Michelle and I are not the ones who set this up, we can't recover a password or um, make a correction through Blog Talk Radio. So if Michael and Jeannie are listening, or if Michelle, if you are listening, if you have um, reached out to Michael or Jeannie yet to let uh, Carol Guy know that we're having difficulty, maybe she has an answer for us. And in the meantime... I will just watch one eye on my phone and um, see if anybody texts me or calls me with some answers to that. And I will talk about some of the other tools we have. We have, I was talking to somebody earlier this morning about how I believe in January it'll be five years that we've finished with this radio show. And whether it's four or five years, all those shows, or most of them, are archived on Blog Talk Radio. And so if you go to Mind Shifters Radio at www.whyagain.org, and there's a link there for Mind Shifters Radio, and if you tap into that, it'll give you access to the archives. Now, one of the things we ask for support in this show is that if people go and listen to a show in the archives and they really like the show or they found it interesting and they make some notes about the content of the show, who was presenting that day, what was the the topic, um, who was the caller, was a worksheet done in the show, then if you email that to Jeannie through the website, she'll post that description, and it will help us get these these old shows labeled. So that's one way people can help. And the other way people can help is they can just go and start enjoying the stories, the testimonials, the step-by-step instructions of how to use the process, Um, the questions. Some of the most fundamental questions end up leading to some of the most uh, powerful shows because every time we have to explain something, especially to a brand-new beginner, we end up with new insight for ourselves about the process about what might have blocked us from understanding it differently in the past. And with a tool that's as powerful as this ancient Aramaic tool of forgiveness, Michael, I think he talks about um, creating the worksheet process over 25 years ago. And yet, as he travels around and does the lectures that explain this, he ends up continually learning even today more and more about the process. The core of the forgiveness tool is a very counterintuitive process having to do with canceling a goal that I hold. And Michael talks about how when he first got introduced to this work and he found in the ancient Aramaic manuscript, the Kaburis manuscript, which I've heard him say is the oldest known copy of the New Testament in in the ancient Aramaic. And Michael is in charge of a foundation whose responsibility it is to translate that from the ancient Aramaic directly into English. And as Michael was working with that translation, with the Aramaic translators, they discovered that this, this process is rooted in canceling goals. So he told people, 
try this, start canceling goals and see what happens. And they came back to him and said, wow, that was amazing. And he said, really, it is? And he said, yeah, I've got great results. And so he kept teaching and kept doing it without really understanding why or how it worked. But he would pray and go into meditation and and teach again and answer questions from other people and try to answer those questions as best he knew how and ask to be shown the best answer. And, And over a process of 25 or 35 years, the past few years, every time I, I, I see him in person, Michael says, I got another piece. I got another insight. Here's a deeper understanding of how it works. I'm really starting to understand now how and why it's so important. Whenever I have any kind of an upset in me, of any kind, physical, mental, or emotional, to figure out what goal I'm holding that is not getting met. And then once I cancel that goal, I start to get new insights. He didn't even understand how it worked. But these days, as I listen to his most recent presentation that I have on video from September of 2014, I can hear how Michael has learned more and more over the years about how the process of canceling a goal and the ancient Aramaic tool of forgiveness works that he didn't know when I first ran into him 12 years ago. So here's a quick overview. Let's say that I'm holding the most loving goal possible. Let's say that my goal is I just want to be of like mind with Christ. I've read this in the scriptures I I think, you know, here's one of the most loving people who's ever lived, whether you want to think about him as a deity or some, you know, as a person who lived or didn't live. Here's an idea of being the most loving, the most forgiving, the most appreciative person of life and other people that we have record of walking the planet, or at least one of the most. I want to be like that. I want to be as much like the most loving person I've ever heard about as I can be. Now, if I hold that goal and it fills my heart with warmth and it guides me to do loving things in every moment, that's a fabulous goal. And then I wake up one day and I realize that I just said a hurtful word to somebody because I was in a rush to get to a meeting and because I'd spilled my coffee earlier and because this person was droning on and on and I think they're less intelligent than me and they remind me of my brother when I was younger who always had to tag along with me and I snapped at this person and then I get rid of them and I get out to my car and now I want to bang my head against the side of the door because I just, I feel so terrible that I treated that person so badly. And my thought is, I just want to be like Christ. Why do I keep screwing this up? In that situation, the most important thing for me to do is cancel my goal to be of like mind with Christ. I'm just going to take a breath and breathe into that. A moment ago I said it's one of the most loving, fabulous goals I could hold. And now I'm saying the most important thing for me to do is cancel the goal. How could that make any sense? Well, Michael didn't understand this either, but over the years he got more and more insights into it. And what he's discovered by reading and reading researchers and asking for insights and doing meditations He now understands and and he teaches that the actual perceptual output of my mind is my own creation. Our U.S. government on the CIA website has a statement where they say very clearly, perception is not recorded. Perception doesn't record reality. The human mind, through its process of perception, literally creates a reality. And if we have five people in the room using their eyes and their ears and their touch and their taste, 
and all their kinesthetic senses, each one of those five people will create a different reality. So the five people in a room, when something happens, are not recording the reality that happens. Each of them creates a different reality for what happened. Now, you get some understanding of this if you've ever been in with a group of people and you witnessed an accident, and when you go to tell the story, you're tripping over each other, correcting each other about who was really right and who really heard it or saw it from the right angle. And So we all record different realities in each moment. And so Michael has come to talk about in this work, reality is the internal experience that I'm creating in each moment. And actuality is the presence of my physical energy system with other energy systems that appear physical around me. There, there really is a chair I'm sitting on made up of some energy, and there really is a table next to me. And that's the actuality. And if another energy system walks in the room and appears to me to look like a physical body and says or does some actions, there's actually something happening. And at the same time that's happening, my mind is capable of creating a complete and utter distortion of the events. That would be my internal reality. Now, the creation of that internal reality is driven by the goals I choose. And when I choose a goal... It literally tells my mind, it tells my brain, go into your past experiences and pull out sights, sounds, thoughts, and beliefs, physical sensations, sights, and smells that go along with helping Tim achieve this goal and use those to create a picture in Tim's mind about what's happening right now. And that's literally how I see the world, how I know to walk around a table in the middle of the room, if my eyes are open and I see it, how I know not to touch a hot stove, how I know to stop at a green light, I'm sorry, stop at a red light and go at a green light. And that perceptual process is driven by the goals I choose. Now, in the system, the way it was created and given to us, as people who are believing that they're a physical body in this energetic world, the system was given to us with a warning system attached. And the warning system is any negative emotion, any physical tension, any continually experienced negative thought. This is my alarm system, and it's trying to tell me, Tim, you're creating a reality that not only is not accurate and true, but it's the source of the pain that you're resonating. So we're going to leave the creator, the, the creative system says, we're going to leave this pain here, Tim, until, Michael likes to say, until your ears grow and you listen to us and realize you're creating pain or you have energies in you that don't belong there. And with the passing of time and with the growing of my ears and with my fatigue experiencing the misery in my life, I might just wake up and realize I might have another choice. And the first and most important choice for me to make is identify whatever goal I have running in my system and cancel it because it's that goal that my mind is using to drive the production of my reality, which is my internal experience, and it's not true. How do I know it's not true? Because I'm in pain. And the system was set up to have pain 
be my alarm to let me know I made an error. One of the things Dr. Rice quotes in his studies is that there's Harvard research that says, in a period of time, like one twenty-fifth of a second, when 10,000 brain cells are firing in the frontal lobes of my brain, if I'm really focused and paying attention, I'm only going to be able to be aware of a total of nine single bits of information out of 10,000 brain cells firing. At that same period of time, it's estimated that the data, the sights and sounds and smells and all of the stuff that's hitting my senses, what's available in the world around me, is at least 20 trillion bits of information. So there's 20 trillion bits flowing in this 125th of a second. My physical brain is able to capture and record maybe 10,000 of them. And my conscious logical mind wants to pull nine single bits of information to use to construct the reality, the picture, the experience in my mind. And then it says, look how smart I am. I know what's going on. And the creative system, life, the source of creation, has given us a warning signal to let us know when we've chosen the wrong nine bits of information or we've rearranged them in the wrong way. And that warning system is the pain we feel, the anger, the sadness, the hurt, the guilt, the shame, the blame, the condemnation, the tension in our spines, our necks, our fingers, the cramping in our toes. These are alarms to tell me, Tim, you're off the mark. And the first and most important thing for me to do when I have the awareness of this tool, of the ancient Aramaic art of forgiveness, when I feel pain is to stop and take a breath, stop talking, stop doing, and watch and identify what goal do I have running right now that's creating the false reality that triggered this alarm. And when I do that, I cancel that goal and I take a breath and I ask to be shown something else. I ask to be shown either a hidden part of my mind or a different way to look at the current situation. And I hold the willingness to cancel the goal and release my attachment or my identification with it. Magic happens. It literally serves the goal I had chosen which was the driver for my perceptual reality, which is resulting in my pain, it collapses and the false reality in my mind collapses and it opens a keyway into a specific part of my mind-body energy system and it can show me the actual source of my pain, my tension, my fear, my sadness, my guilt. And if I breathe and I allow... And I remember, wait a minute, I didn't create myself. I don't even know when I was created. There's a source of creation beyond me that gave rise to me. And I let myself connect with that. And the most loving energies, thoughts, images, physical sensations I've ever had in the presence of the pain from a past part of my mind and energy system, the creative energy transmutes what's less than it. The creative energy at a fundamental level, some would call it Planck's constant, some would call it that energy that Einstein's referring to when he says we're all connected. That energy dissolves, transmutes, transforms the false energy of bitterness or fear or hurt or condemnation, resentment that I might have stored in my energy system. And I might have done it myself from some time since I was born in this incarnation, or it might be there from past generations, either on my mother's side or my father's side or both. But the energy 
<laughs> the one ring to rule them all, the one ring to find them, the one ring to rule them all, and in the end to bind them, as they talk about in the Lord of the Rings, the one energy that outdoes all the others, it's the energy of creation. Some call it the energy of love. Some call it the energy of harmony or gratitude or appreciation. It's running through everything. And if I am simply willing to give up what is false, and that means to release identification, release identification with fear, with sadness, with the need to be right, with anger, with the false belief that I need to protect myself from something, if I release that, it opens a space where I can then use that the initiation of that creative energy that we call the mind energy, that creative force that's called mind energy, and focus it on the true source of my creation. Light, love, peace, calm, gratitude, appreciation, call it what you will, it makes no difference to me. That energy rules them all. That energy has given rise to everything that ever was. That energy contains everything that ever was. That energy can transmute everything that's less than itself if I allow it. And the key to it is when I'm in pain, recognizing it's an inside job, taking a breath and stepping back and saying, all right, my alarm's going off. What goal do I have running right now that I need to cancel? There may be more than one, but I'll take them one at a time. Cancel the goal and simply saying, I cancel this goal. Simply telling my mind, okay, for a moment, you don't need to be right. For a moment, I'm in such misery here. I'm in the, in the throes of this rage or anger, and I really don't like this feeling. I hope there's another way to look at this situation. And breathing and asking to be shown the hidden part of my own carbon-based memory system that's actually creating the illusion of separation and pain holds a power and a magic that goes beyond what my logical mind can comprehend. It still amazes me. When I have that process happen, when I've done a reality management worksheet, and my perception shifts, and my energy shifts, and I feel more calm, and I look back at the situation that moments before I thought was the cause of my pain, or the need to defend myself, or the need to attack someone else, and I look at it, and I'm either in, in tears of sadness at my folly, or I'm laughing at my folly because my perception shifts so dramatically when I step into the willingness to reconnect to my source and I cancel any goal that has me feeling less than love. And I think I heard a rustling of noise. Who do we have with us? Hi, Tim. It's Michelle. Michelle Pache. How are you? I, I'm, I'm very... Oh, well, at this moment, I'm very well. I just got a text from Michael alerting me that the woman who runs the network for, for um, blog, the Earth Angel Network changed her password and didn't let them know. All right, so now we have the password, and now we have a show in the archive, which is mostly Dr. Tim prattling on. <laughs> Well, actually, um, I hesitated because you were doing so fine. I thought I could just pretend they don't have this password and let them go. Well, now that you're here, what's new in your young life? Oh, what well. What, if anything, do you have to share about your process? Uh, spent four and a half hours with Rex last night. <laughs> I let him participate in that. Hey, Rex. Hi, Michelle. Hi, Tim. Hello, Rex. Tim, what have you got to share with us? Very thorough. Pardon me? Uh, great conversation, very thorough. 
I'm in the car driving, so if you can uh, hear me okay, just give me a yeah, you can. Yep. Cool. Um, I I thought one thing might be uh, helpful for people. It gives a context to how quickly we can change goals from a place of setting it from a place of love and then resetting it to a, from a place of fear or hostility. And you gave a great example of that. Um, that very loving goal of being like Christ and then, you know, and then of Christ's mind and then being upset and then saying, God, God, I thought I was going to be of Christ's mind. I'm not doing very well. And then resetting a goal based on hostility or fear, which in turn sets in for, sets forth a response to that goal um, if completed at any given moment of something negative or destructive. And in the laws of living, it talks about, we talk about, how we have changes in filters potentially 25 times a second. So it just gives a a more credence to how important it is to have a repetition on a regular daily moment-to-moment basis of of establishing conscious love in our minds and in our languaging the Rachmakuba filters and being conscious of managing our goals intently and uh, being focused on it. So I wanted to add that to what you're saying because, gosh, I I really do enjoy hearing you going on and on. I know you said you were going on and on, but you're so uh, actually very concise with your languaging and your communication, Tim. It's received very well and very thorough. So uh, it's enjoyable to listen to. Uh, but that was a piece that I thought might be helpful for the average listener that would, you know, doesn't have that material. And even if we've heard it, we uh, hearing it a number of times is very helpful. 25 times a second, that's a lot. And so it's important to keep on top of that. And and I also had a a question. um, I know we're getting low on time. I don't know exactly what time it is. Um, But the question I have is regarding, I was working with a client who was having a challenge with the idea of um, the process working because, um, this client has been very diligent over the you know, last couple of years of really doing the process, very disciplined, very on top of it, but yet seems to have similar issues reoccurring and coming back up uh, over and over again, and the experience of it being as if they weren't truly released or they weren't really truly healed. And I wondered if you would speak on that, Tim, and maybe comment, and the question is, What's going on with that? It appeared, uh, maybe to lead into that a little bit, it appeared that they had a goal around um, the work and what was happening, and I, I'm pretty sure they've canceled that goal as well, but they, it was almost like there was a payoff to stay unhealed, payoff to stay caught in their own process. So I wondered, could you speak to that? So, Rex, actually, um, that's interesting because I was going to ask you when Tim was speaking, did you hear what he had said about payoffs? And then and then you just brought up this random thing about a client with being attached to the, um, you know, holding on versus letting go, and, and what's the payoff related to that? Did you hear that? You know, I apologize because I was just I'm had I had to borrow a car and taking my dog over, so I may have missed that piece. So thank you for identifying that. And if I did, I apologize that I was getting in the car and I, I know there was just a you know like a two or three minutes that I wasn't able to hear what you were saying, Tim. So it's probably right when you said it. Tim, do you remember when what you um had referred to there? Yes, and and you know when Rex is talking about how the filter in the mind can be changed every 25 any 25 times a second or 125th of a second other estimates from neuroscientists today say that if i really focus and pay attention for any given period of time take the next hour i will be able to be aware of 5 out of every 100 thoughts that go through my mind and I didn't like this when I first heard it. I, I like to think of myself as fairly conscious and self-directed. And But the fact of the matter is, 95% of the thoughts that go through my mind that help me determine 
what shirt to wear today, what route to drive to work, whether or not to have a donut or a beer or a carrot at any given time, 95% of those thoughts are outside my conscious awareness. And I'm on an automatic processing machine. Michael calls it the automatic decision-making process. So I can have, and most of us do, countless levels of motivation and hidden goals, unconscious goals. It's the work of the worksheet and all of the tools Michael has in his bag and, of course, what lots of other people have. The goal of the tools is to help me become aware of the material in my subconscious and my unconscious that's actually driving these experiences that my conscious mind says I don't like. And it is an ongoing process. You know, um, Way of Mastery says, how could you ever want to be done if you're an infinite energy field? How could you ever hope to reach the end and be enlightened as an end result if you're constantly changing? So, I, you know, if I were Michael and at the intensive, I'd turn around and point at the board and say all of the above and start again at the beginning. If I realize that I've canceled some goals and I thought I had the end of a process, and I, you know, the example that comes to mind is we've talked about it a couple times in the past few weeks. A year ago, August 27th, 28th, on this Internet show, I was triggered to a deep, deep set of physical pains and energies of a trauma that happened when I was 14 years old. And I went to undergraduate school for psychology and had people do therapy on me there and then I went to graduate school for a doctorate degree and had all kinds of therapy techniques and every time I learned a new one I would have it done on myself and that trauma of getting beaten up when I was 14 years old is something I have been through and used well over a dozen different therapy techniques to help me resolve the effects of that trauma and the belief systems generated from that trauma etc and yet just last year at 60 years of age it happened i got triggered to such deep pain physical pain emotional pain i couldn't breathe and i got insight into how the beliefs that i had generated back then i was still holding on to and identifications i had formed back then i was still holding on to and they were driving my day-to-day -day interactions with people when i was sixty years old so that's all i have to offer at this point if i fully understand the question that when i think i'm done with something that's a false conclusion and all it does is put blinders on me and set me up to probably fall in the next open manhole, emotionally speaking, if that makes any sense. Yes, that's that's good input. I, I appreciate it. it. It's very helpful to, to clarify it from that perspective. And I... I uh, well, Rex, it's, it's, I, I, Rex yeah, I just sure. had somebody say in my ear, we have 90 seconds left. Well, we have 90 <laughs> seconds left, so... Thank you for the input. I think it's good, and I think it can be a further conversation. I'm going to be working with clients tomorrow, so I won't be able to tune in. But um, if I happen to come back on in the next few days, which I'm obviously very busy, but I will come on and uh, we'll continue the conversation. But thank you for your feedback and your input. Appreciate it a lot. You're welcome, and thanks for anybody who did stick around and listen through the show. And uh, join us tomorrow, and hopefully we will have uh, a whole switchboard functioning in a chat room, and in the meantime, have the best year yet of your eternal life. Thank you for listening to Mind Shifters Radio with the Forgiveness Doctor, Dr. Michael Rice, and his wife, Jeannie, who present the internal Aramaic process of forgiveness. Michael and Jeannie are here every Monday through Friday on Earth Angels Radio. For more on Michael and Jeannie, please visit www.yagain.com. That's www. 
W-H-Y-A-G-A-I-N dot com. Yeah.